This is an NYY Sports Talk podcast presented to you by Baseballism, a premium lifestyle apparel brand inspired by America's pastime. Baseballism is America's brand. Now batting for the New York Yankees, the shortstop, number two. Welcome back. This is episode 132 of the NYYST podcast presented to you by Baseballism.com. I am your host, Christian. As always, joined by my co-host, Chris. You! And he's not here. No guy, Rye. No show, Rye. It's great. So, uh, yeah. I mean, Ryan decided that, uh, you know, it's a holiday weekend, so he was going to... Just not. It's like, it's like no at show. work when you're you're performing well, the team's performing well. You feel more comfortable taking days off. I said it in our upcoming interview with Joe Rivera that, uh, or right after it, that we gave him a couple compliments last week or two weeks ago. The Yankees are winning, and now he's just not here. So yeah, a little Friday night recording here. We're uh, actually watching a Yankee game right now. It's four four in the top of the tenth. Uh, as you'll hear throughout the interview with Joe Rivera, uh, we you know stopped to. Had react. a couple big moments. We had a Hicksy pinch hit home run. React to the game a little bit. Uh, but Joe Rivera uh, spent about an hour with us, as he always does. Uh, Joe's very generous with his time. Uh, comes on, breaks down not only the Yankees, but uh, the rest of Major League Baseball for us. So that's we thank Joe for hopping on here. And, um, you know, as we approach the All-Star break here, it's kind of crazy that, you know, I mean, what more can you say? The Yankees came back from London uh, Tuesday. They were a little flat. They lost the game, but then you know they put back-to-back wins together, and it's just yeah. But you know what? They didn't get blown out Tuesday. They were still competitive all game, and it was probably a game they should have won. They had you yeah, know, they had their bullpen uh, in there, and they couldn't. But you know what? It happens. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But they they came back. They put back-to-back wins together. They won Wednesday night. They won yesterday. Uh, gee, I mean. I don't, I don't know if uh, if the they weren't playing in the dome that Gary Sanchez's ball would have ever landed. Probably not. That was that home run was unreal. And I got to say, Joe's always a great guest to have on. But when it's like beginning of the year, mid mid season recap, which is really going around the league, what we did in the interview, he's he's great because he covers he covers everyone. So yeah, I mean. Uh, Great job as always by Joe Rivera. Uh, you'll hear that interview momentar- momentarily here. Uh, I mean, what you know, we touch on things like uh, DJ Mayu. I mean, the guy is an absolute. You know, I have not heard a more apropos uh, nickname. Guardy's going to beat that out. He's there safe. On. He's safe. He broke his wrist probably, but he's safe. Uh, more apropos nickname. Uh, than the machine because the guy he just hits. He just gets hits. And yesterday, the bases are loaded, and it was a little curious to me. And I was saying, because we were watching the game yesterday together, we were at a barbecue, uh, that with first and second, nobody out, He uh, Gardner bunted, and they were setting up the at-bat for Hicks to have a, a shot with the bases loaded. Because if the, you know, Gardy ended up uh, beating out the bunt there last night, but 
if things are executed the way you have them in your mind, LeMayu is getting walked. Yeah, you know, Gardner is going to sacrifice himself. They're going to walk LeMayu, and then Hicks, who I believe is four for forty-four with the bases loaded in his career. Uh, you know, that's that's what you're doing. You're playing for Hicks to have an at right. bat with the bases loaded. But you know, Gardner beats it out, and then geez, uh, you let know, me ask you this, LeMayu. Yeah, go other on. than machine. Yes. If you had to describe DJ LeMayu in one word, what would it be? I I don't know. How do you want to go with that? I don't, I don't He's know. Clutch, clutch. Anyone listening or watching on YouTube, if you if you have Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever, head over there. Give us a five star rating or review because you love us. And in the review, give me your one word. To describe DJ LeMayhew right now. It cannot be machine. It cannot be, be machine. machine. Pick another word. Another word. I don't even know. Uh, uh, unrealistic. Like his numbers are video game numbers. It's yeah. unbelievable. It, it really is. And you know, the whole debate that was Sanchez's home run pitch right there. The guy was trying for another Man. one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole debate with Trout and DJ, I'm not sitting here and saying that. DJ's a better player or deserves it more than than Trout does right now if the season were to end. But we go into this in, in depth a little at the end of our interview with Joe Rivera that, you know, you have to remove the team element from from anything when you're when you're rating MVP. And to me, I get it. I even backed him up on it. But there's got to be a line, right? Because without your team, there are no RBIs and there are no clutch stats. That plays a big part into the MVP voting because we saw it happen with Altuve over Aaron Judge. I guess Chapman's fine. He's in the bullpen right now. Yeah. You know, there's there still is a team element to it in some sense, because without a team, you don't have stats like RBI, which I would hope are still pretty, pretty big stats to that way into an MVP vote. You don't have war because if you don't have a team, you don't have replacements and you don't have above average. So it does go part of what plays into a war are the guys in the surround surrounding you in the league. So there is a team aspect to it. And when you do add that in, I think trout and DJ become neck and neck. I really do. I think the debate is stupid right now. And I think that Mike trout's numbers give him the, give him the edge regardless, but DJ LeMahieu to, you can't poo poo what he's done this season so far and just say that trout is the overwhelming best player in the American league. No, And as I said, you know, we don't want to spoil the interview too much, but as we, as I said with Joe, I don't have an issue with anybody that wants to say that trout is the MVP because he's the best player on in the world, but you can't just dismiss what DJ LeMayu's meant to the Yankees issue. No, you in can't. In terms of valuable, it's DJ LeMayu, but that's, you know, we've seen Alex Rodriguez win an MVP in a last place team. Sure. So, you know, what is it really, you know, it's some years it's valuable and some years it's overall best player, just how the voters are going to. Yeah. And, and just to wrap up my point, part of what makes you such a great player are your surrounding teammates. So it does play a play a factor into it. Yeah. Your team might not be the best in the league. Your team might be under 500 and you could still win MVP. 
But without them, in some sense, you're not the same player. You can't sit here and say there's not any team aspect when it comes into So really, when you put it all together, DJ's neck and neck with, with Mike Trout, in my opinion. All right. So without any further ado, because it's a nice long interview for you to sink your teeth in, let's go right to our interview with Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. Please follow him on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. This interview is brought to you by Baseballism.com. Head to Baseballism.com. Use promo code Chase28 for free shipping. And enjoy this interview with Joe Rivera. All right, Chris and Christian of the NYYST podcast on with our good pal Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. Uh, you can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Joe, do you want do you want me to intro you as something different? Because like I usually go to good pal for you, but like I feel like maybe you've passed that status in life. You know, uh, what are you going with? Best friend? <laughs> the incomparable Joe <laughs> Rivera, the showstopper Joe Rivera. If if you ever wow. get if wow. you ever get remarried, Joe is Joe going to be your best man now? You're going <laughs> to you going to snub me again? Are you going to get triggered this time? Maybe. Joe, I don't know if you yeah, ever heard. You know, if you've ever heard this, I was but just going to say I can I I could break some news for you guys real quick first. If uh, we can go, with I would news love it. Right Joe ahead. Rivera. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I my sources are telling me. Uh, I know who the Yankees are going to be taking in the 2038 draft. I like uh, this. first round pick, and that's and that's a new new space you brought into this world. Really, I uh, wanted to say congratulations Thanks, to you, pal. Chris. Uh, I saw saw the news on Twitter. I'm very happy for you guys, and uh, hoping for that excellent signing bonus money for you and your family. I'm better. sure. I'm sure that'll, at least that'll my, all come at least to my fruition. son right now. Better better get drafted. You know, <laughs> I need still something. Some hope. Still hope. I'm not going to keep throwing a <laughs> wiffle ball at the kid every hour of the day if he's not going to make something out of it, you know? Still plenty of hope. Still plenty of hope. <laughs> Appreciate Protect it, man. Thank arm. you. Thank you. Oh, you got it. Well, <sighs> what's up? What's going on, man? Well, you know, just, uh, just uh, you know, another week of just uh, sort of the city field twice this week for the Subway Series. And, Sorry uh, to hear that. You know, yeah, well, you know, cities, it's not all that bad when the traffic isn't bad. But, you know, talk to a lot of Yankee players, a lot of Mets players. They, you know, contrary to popular belief, they all really like the Subway Series. I know that, you know, it's an extra home game for both teams pretty much, depending on where you're playing. But, you know, I, I think I just want to say real quick that the, the Twitter hot take saying that only the Mets players care about uh care about the subway series and and yankee players don't they're this or that you know I, I think that's wholly untrue i think you look at both teams and and both both uh everybody on both teams they really get pumped up for this and and that's no exaggeration getting to defend home turf and i don't um, think i don't I think, think that, that a lot. i don't think that i doubt or i mean i'm sure there's people out there that do i don't doubt that the yankees don't get extra amped for it i just feel like when the mets win it just means more to them whether they're 20 games under 500 or 10 games over 500 it just seems to mean more to them because i feel like and i think this is just a given i feel like the mets have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of a lot more proving to do than the yankees and i think that's where you that, know, I, think, I think that's where that perspective I, comes from you know, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think some of that is recency bias just because the Mets are, you know, I don't think they're horrific by any stretch. I think when you look at their team, they should just be better than what they are. Uh, when you see their young talent, when you see the way that the pitching is 
they they they've just produced quality pitching. I know that that hasn't exactly panned out that well this year, but um, yeah, I don't think that's that's wholly unfair to bring that up. Maybe it does mean a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think on, on both sides, guys, I really do think the players on both sides really care about it. It's, and I think that's this, the same can be said of of uh, any of these these uh, intercity uh, intercity rivalries, these crosstown rivalries. You well, know, look at that. Angels, Angels, Dodgers, you know, Chicago. I, I think that that all these rivalries that mean uh, mean a lot to uh, a lot of these teams. Well, I we think got there's a, a lot of take, so it's nice. Not that there's never any pressure on the New York Yankees, but I feel like since you're saying them, it kind of does make sense that because in the in the days of George Steinbrenner, the Yankees were in a no win situation with the Mets. Like, yeah, because Joe Torre yeah, said that was. Joe Torre said that was the least enjoyable World Series when they won in 2000 because it was like they yeah absolutely they, they Steinbrenner had... Steinbrenner made it known Steinbrenner made it known to those guys that he would not accept losing to the Mets. Then um, there was no there was pressure on everybody uh, in that series. It was just uncomfortable for everybody. If you read Joe Torre's book, he goes into great detail about it. So. Uh, yeah, it means a lot, man. Uh, I know, again, and I know that recency bias says maybe it means more to the Mets just given their uh, lack of true championship success uh, in recent years. But uh, there make no doubt that, that both sides really care about it a lot. Um, it, it does mean a lot to all these guys. All right, Joe. So uh, we're recording here Friday night. Uh, we're actually watching a Yankee game while we talk to you. So the Tanaka is, you know, Tanaka. Sorry if Tanaka gives up a home run and we scream in her ear. <laughs> but uh, we're sitting here um, after the game completes tonight. The Yankees will have, uh, well, everybody will have two more games before the All-Star break. So we wanted to touch base with you, uh, go around the league a little bit, get a feel for what's going on outside of the uh, Yankee universe, so to speak. Uh, we'll start in the National League here and we'll work our way to the Yankees. Um, we got the the. The uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, who currently own the best record in Major League Baseball, uh, they're sitting at 60-29. and 29. They have a 13-game uh, lead in the loss column over the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, they can probably put themselves in a rocking chair and they'll be in uh, postseason again. Uh, runners up uh, the past two years, you know, they fell short in the World Series. Are they, again, the class of the National League? Yeah, I think so, Guy. I really don't think there's much room for debate here either, to be honest. I mean, uh, we saw it coming a few years ago. We even saw it during the Mattingly years, uh, the later Mattingly years, that this was a team that was just built to win. Um, They had young talent coming up then. We see that now. When you get three straight walk-offs from three rookies uh, a few weeks ago, um, that's special stuff. You know, that's Team of Destiny type stuff. It really is, so... Uh, you look up and down that rotation. Hyunjin Ryu has had an excellent year and a half. I know he dealt with some injuries last year, but he's been a godsend for them. Walker Bueller got over some early uh, issues um, early on in the season. I think that their their rotation is just very good top to bottom. And the lineup anchored by, you know, probable MVP Cody Bellinger. I mean, he, he's been excellent for them too. So, yeah, I, I think when you look at the way that the NL East teams have kind of underperformed this year and also the NL Central teams, it just feels like everybody's underperforming. But the Dodgers are there. I just don't think when you look at their depth, when you look at their lineup, just top to bottom, I think their Achilles heel is probably the bullpen. They don't really have a lot of arms in there, but the rest of that team is just way too good. Well, Joe, you go from you go from the NL West where there's, like Christian said, a 13-game 
separation in the lost column to the NL Central, where it's kind of fun to to focus on a division that is kind of mediocre throughout. I think they're they're all within two games in the lost column of one another. Seems to be a division that continuously goes back and forth over the last couple of years from from what my uh, memory is bringing back to me here. But who do you yeah. think comes out of that division this year? You know, the NL Central, guys, is just – you look at the way that the Cubs, again, have underperformed this year. It's really – it's really dazzling to me because they have so much talent top to bottom. I know that the rotation hasn't been good. You look at you, Darvish, he's been questionable all season. Kyle Hendricks was dealing with some injuries, but he's back now. Um, I thought Milwaukee would be better than this, especially with their lineup. Uh, I mean, we knew heading into the season that Milwaukee was just going to be a question mark when it came to the rotation. You lose Wade Miley, who, you know, say what you will about Wade Miley. He was pretty good for them last year. And then you don't really make a run at Dallas Keuchel, which would have been perfect for them in that rotation. Um, even with the bullpen, even with, uh, even with the bullpen, even with the depth that they have in the lineup, they've, they've underperformed to me too. So uh, I, I do like the Cubs still just by default. I just look at their talent. I say they can't be this average for this long. Uh, it looked like they were turning a corner a few weeks ago and it just hasn't really happened. So uh, we'll see if if Kimbrell can really lock down the back end of that bullpen. I thought that was a huge signing for them, but the effectiveness of a guy signing midway through a season is still kind of a question mark. We'll see if that works out for them in the long run. So I do like the Cubs still coming out of it, but the rest of that, again, it's the entire national league outside the Dodgers. I mean, it's just been ugly. I mean, the Phillies, we knew they were a flawed team. The Mets, we knew. Looking at their the Mets moves on paper before the season, I thought that the, that Van Wagenen did a really good job, but none of them have worked out. So, uh, yeah, I still like the Cubs coming out of the Central. I think that they're they're still just the talent alone is, is the best out of any of the teams in that division. Well, you brought up Brody Van Wagenen, so let's uh, go there next. We've been actually, even though this is the NYY Sports Talk podcast, not the NYM Sports Talk Podcast. We have talked about the Mets a lot in on recent episodes. I just think they've been almost more interesting because, you know, say what you want about the Yankees and uh, the Jerry Recco on the fan today, he brought this up. He said they're kind of boring right now because they're just that good. They're that like, good. They like you winning. Yeah. You just know you just get to a certain point where you just feel like they're going to win. And the not Mets, boring as a fan. No, but no, no. Boring as doing something like this, yes. like a podcast, a radio show. I mean, how many times are you? I mean, we'll we're going to talk about it. But how many times are you going to say, "Oh, how great is you know DJ, DJ LeMay, LeMay you been, right. You know, it's every so, episode. And it's almost it was like a it was like car crash mentality, like watching the Mets bullpen uh, last <laughs> week. So. Uh, we've been, you know, bringing that up and, you know, it's topical. Uh, the Yankees just played the Mets and, uh, you know, you look at the NL East and, you know, with Washington now, uh, sitting at the top of that division, uh, it feels like almost a missed opportunity for the Mets this year that they could have made some noise in there and been a potential playoff team, but we're at eight, nine games under 500 right now. Yeah. You know, Brody's had a yeah, few. Yeah, it's- Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. It's it's funny, guys. It, it's no, it's fine. It's funny because the Yankees have won more over the last 40 years, 50 years, right? Since since the Mets' existence, but the Mets have won more back pages. You know, whether that's for good or bad. Uh, yeah. It, it seems like there's always there's always they just have a tradition of stories following and surrounding the team. I, I mean, the '69, the Miracle Mets. Uh, they were the worst team in baseball just a few years before that. The '86 Mets, which 
you know, well-documented team with all the drug use and, and drug abuse that was happening there. Uh, the, the 90s years where they were really good and Bobby Valentine was a character in and of itself, uh, making, you know, hiding in the dugout with, with all the disguises. And then, and then you had Wilmer Flores crying, uh, crying on the diamond, thinking he was traded. And then the trade for, for Cespit has happened. So, you know, the Mets have always, always had these weird stories that have always followed them. They've always been the more dramatic team. They've, that, I think that's part and why that Mets fans are so fervent because they're so entertained by their team. I, I, and I think that a lot of that obviously is heartbreak, but I think a lot of it is entertaining too. So this season is no different just to keep going here. You know, this season is no different for them. I, Brody Van Wagenen got like seven or eight different guys uh, before the season, JD Davis, who's been there, like the lone move that he's made. That's really worked out for them. Obviously the trade for Cano and Diaz, uh, Diaz uh, Cano hasn't really been good. Diaz has looked good generally overall, uh, but not, he hasn't looked like his 2018 self at all. Uh, he's blown a few weeds. He's blown, blown a few saves this year. Uh, Wilson Ramos now Mets pitchers don't want to pitch to him anymore for whatever reason. Maybe he calls a bad game. Who knows? Uh, when you look at all the moves that Van Wagenen made before the season, you said to yourself, you know, these all make sense because it was all depth moves. Uh, it was bullpen moves. Jed Lowry was a solid hitter last year, even though he's 35 and he hasn't seen the field this year. It doesn't sound like he's going to see the field this year either. Uh, but all of these moves that they made were to shore up the bench or were to shore up the bullpen. And, and you said to yourself, you know, maybe he knows what he's doing. If, if this is the window right now with the starting pitching with Syndergaard and DeGrom, then you have to make win now moves, which is why I was okay with everything that they did. But Obviously, it hasn't worked out in that way, and it's it's really surprising to see so many things go wrong for them at once. I mean, even with the injury injury riddle years in the past, this is like the messiest Mets season that I've seen uh, in recent years. It's just it really is crazy to me to see how many things have gone wrong with them this year uh, in terms of production, in terms of injuries. Uh, it's it's just crazy to watch. Well. I was going to ask you because he's. It seems like everything that he's done this year, outside of maybe acquiring JD Davis, uh, he it's been like a misstep for him. You know, Jed Lowry hasn't seen the field. Uh, you know, Jerry's familia has been a total disaster. Robinson Cano looks like you know he should probably. I would never you know uh, advocate doing drugs, but maybe he should you know go Get back, back on the juice because he looks like a shell <laughs> of his former self. Like I mean. Uh, and Edwin Diaz has been a pretty much a disaster. His ERA is what hovering around five right Edwin now. Edwin Diaz looks like Jonathan Holder right now. So I mean, added like, and then and then you you can because we're in the same town. You have the fans that compare like the Yankees got DJ LeMayu, we got Jed Lowry, very comparable signing. Same thing with Adam Adovino to uh, Jay Reese Familia. You know, DJ LeMayu is in the conversation. I to be an MVP. Adam Adovino's, you know, pitching to a 1.5 year array. So yeah, you, you, you see these things and out of all this, like it, what was the worst thing that Brody Van Wagenen did this off season? Was it, could it be as simple as just taking the job? You know, guys, I mean, it's really tough for me because I think, you know, you look back on all those moves now and you say, yeah, hindsight is 2020, you know, how different would this team look if they did have a DJ LeMahieu over a Jed Lowry or, or an Adam Adovino over Jerry's Familia. You got to look at all those moves and you say to yourself, you know, 
maybe uh, maybe Brody Van Wagenen just had a, a really bad string of bad luck because again, those moves made sense. It's not like Familia was really really bad last year. And Joe, after the trade to Oakland, he, you know, he wanted to come back. And Joe, I don't want to, I don't mean to cut you off here, but just like you said on paper, this team should be much better than they are. How do you do you even blame? Brody fully for this because I mean how can you get a guy like Diaz here and he's pitching the way he is how is that on the general manager because look at the season the guy had last year doesn't it go beyond that isn't it something more with this organization that they're not getting the most out of their players guys I don't I don't know if it's the water in Flushing Bay I don't know if it's the if it's the it's the jet fuel coming the 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 jet streams coming from the planes landing at LaGuardia. I don't know if guys are eating bad Shake Shack before the game. I don't know if City Field was built on an Indian burial ground. Like, I don't know. It's like I said, it's when you look at this team top to bottom, nobody has really that Brody brought in has really performed up to what their baseball card dictates. And and that's just, it's crazy to me. Like, what is Mickey Calloway supposed to do? And listen, I, I'm not going to defend Mickey because I think Mickey overall hasn't really done himself any favors. I mean, obviously everybody knows what happened last year with batting out of order, but you look at this team top to bottom. And again, all the guys that Brody brought in, it's, it's like, what is Mickey supposed to do? I mean, he's playing the guys that he was given. Right. Uh, and, and when, and when Familia's coming in and he looked terrible and then he was hurt for a while, he looked pretty good the other night uh, in his first appearance back against the Yankees. But what's, what's Mickey supposed to do? So again, I, it's, it really is bizarre to me uh, to see the way that these guys came in and they just haven't performed. Now, when you look at their core, uh, you look at the Michael Conforto and a Pete Alonzo, he hit, he hit his 29th home run today. And you look at a Jeff McNeil, who's like DJ LeMahieu white. And, and you look at all these guys top to bottom, you say to yourself, man, this actually is a talented team that should be better than what they are. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just, it, it, in a nutshell, guys, I think you look at the Mets situation and you say to yourself, this is one of those times where you say players have to perform. Um, I know that you can always blame something on a manager. You can always blame something on a general manager or maybe some moves that didn't make sense. But top to bottom, this is just a team where guys haven't performed. And I think that's as simple as it comes down to. Well, Joe, if you ever decided to watch uh, this episode on YouTube and see my facial reactions, they're not towards you. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes because <laughs> Nestor Cortez Jr. is uh, warming up in the seventh inning of this game. Yeah. So that means uh, we somebody's not available for the Yankees tonight. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm guessing yeah, you know, I actually asked, uh, you know, I asked, uh, I asked Aaron Boone before, I believe it was the second game of, of the Subway Series this week. I said, you know, Aaron, you guys are top 10 in, in, in all of Major League Baseball and in innings pitched by the bullpen. How, can, how much of that is a concern to you guys? Because, listen, uh, you see that the way that bullpens are taxed and used uh, in, in baseball, especially this year, and, and guys just aren't performing top to bottom. I think that that's, that's something to keep an eye on moving forward, right? I, I just think that uh, you you go to guys for four innings, five innings almost every night. That's just it's not a good look. It's not it's not the way you want to win moving forward. It's not. I understand that a bullpen like the Yankees have is a weapon, but I do think that there's still a lot of value in, in guys going out there and getting seven innings, starting pitchers getting seven innings, getting eight innings, trying to give the bullpen a night off. I just think there's so much value in that. And then when you add in the fact that guys are you add in the fact that the Yankees are using openers this year too, you have to realize that that's taxing the bullpen as well. So uh, I think that that's something to keep an eye on moving forward for sure. I mean, you hope that nobody's hurt. That's always the case. You hope nobody 
sets in with a dead arm. But yeah, I, I think that uh, not to go off on a tangent, but I think that that's something you definitely have to keep an eye on uh, the way the Yankees move, use their bullpen moving forward in the second half of the season. Yeah. And I mean, not to go too much into this, but I think that's why the opener has become so appealing because it's not like these guys are going to explode on the mound. If they pitch into the sixth inning, it's more or less the fact that these managers now have so many stats at their fingertips that they're a little more weary to let these guys go a third time around, uh, these lineups. And that's where the opener really becomes effective because these pitch, these hitters aren't seeing the same pitcher over and over again. Um, and I think that's where you're seeing so much use out of the Yankee bullpen. Yeah. I, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair, Chris, but I also think that when you get a guy like James Paxton, who obviously he's never pitched 200 innings in his career. Um, I think last year he came as close as he was at 180. He's not going to really give you length, uh, whether it's via injury or what, um, He's, he also wastes a lot of pitches, so he's not a guy that's going to be a horse. Uh, you're kind of hoping Severino comes back and he can be that ace at the top of the rotation that can give you seven innings strong per game. Uh, and then there are guys on the trade market that you, you say to yourself, you know, maybe a guy like Madison Bumgarner, who historically in his career has always been a workhorse and he's always pitched a lot of innings. So, you know, there are guys out there to be had, but when you look at this Yankee rotation, I mean, Jay Happ isn't going to be giving you seven or eight innings. CC's not definitely not going to be giving you seven or eight innings. He's a five and fly guy pretty much now. So I definitely think it's a question mark, even, even with the second or third time through stats. If a guy is nasty, a guy's nasty. That's why you see guys like Justin Verlander. I mean, they're not afraid to use him a third time through because yeah. he's just disgusting. Um, you know, the, uh, Max Scherzer. I mean, you, good luck saying, you know, Max, just give us six innings today. That's all we need. <laughs> you know, right. don't worry about don't worry about a, a third time through. So uh, I think when you have that ace, when you have that guy that's undoubted at the top of the rotation, that just helps the team so much more than than just the stats will allow. All right, and we'll wrap up the National League here with this last question. I just want to. Christian, I think before you said Washington was atop the division. It's actually Atlanta. Washington's on top of the wild card. Did I see something wrong today? You No, they're on top of the wild card now, I think, or at least the second slot. But Atlanta's six games up, I believe, on Washington. Yeah, you're right. I, um, I had the... Uh, I had- but they're back in the race now. Yeah, no, they're they're not. It's not like they're going to be. You're right. Selling. I was looking at the wild card standings, but I'm yeah. So you know that's. But a, that's still a, a crazy thing because they people were talking about them being out of it a week ago, two weeks ago. But anyway, uh, Joe, first half NL MVP in your mind right now. Uh, it's Ballinger. I mean, you look at. I know that a lot of war is kind of looked at. You know, what is it good for? Uh-huh. Uh but you look at the, you look at the war number. It's at six points. So I should right throw now. you that's, off the show. For that show. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I, and it's it's not only the fact that it's a terrible joke, but it's been used way more than it should be. But I'm just going to go there for now. But <laughs> you know, Bellinger's he's at a six point seven uh, baseball reference war number right now, which is two entire wins more than Christian Yelich. And I think that when you have two guys that are that close, that good. I mean, it's it's tough to pick one over the other, but yeah. Bellinger just, he got off to such a historic start. I mean, Yelich is up there with him. He's been ridiculous to the season. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about Bellinger is that he's an elite level defender. I mean, the guy might win a platinum glove this year. He's that good defensively. So uh, not only does he make adjustments, I know that he, he slumped a little bit, uh, in the last month or so, but he's a guy that last year you saw that maybe there was a little too much uppercut in his swing. 
This year, his swing is a little bit more level. He's, he's line, his line drive percentage is way up, so his swing is a little bit more level. Um, not Maybe not as much uppercut in the years past. So, uh, yeah, I like Bellinger a lot. I just think when you look at the body of work in the first half, he's just he's been way, way too good uh, to not give him the nod, at least at this point. All right. I think that's pretty unanimous that we all think that uh, Bellinger is probably yeah, going mean, to lock that up. Yeah, he's a good young talent. Let's move over to the American League here. And I didn't I didn't put this when we sent you the uh, the topics, but I should have called this the Minnesota Twins question. Uh, besides <laughs> the Yankees in Houston, is, they, is there a real contender in the American League this year? You know, guys, I mean, Baltimore is always, always lying. You know, I, I, I really got to stop making Baltimore Orioles jokes on the podcast, guys. I'm sorry. It's just, it's low-hanging fruit. It really is. It's unfortunate. Are they still but, a Major League Baseball uh, you know, team? It, uh, you know, this is why I'm actually for relegation in uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I don't I don't know logistically how that would be possible, but if everybody would not be subjected to the Baltimore Orioles every year, I think that that would probably be better for Major League Baseball. Why don't they do this? Because remember two weeks or so ago, <laughs> there was this stupid idea out here that the Rays were going to play in Tampa and Montreal. Yeah. Why don't they send the Orioles to play in that dumpster, the, the trop, and actually let a good, exciting team <laughs> play in like, that gorgeous Yeah, like the stadium, Rays like play Camden in Camden Yards. Camden Yards. I think everybody wins there. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm really I think uh, Tampa would riot if they had any part of the Orioles more than 18 <laughs> games a season, guys. I really I really do. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that would be a, a sending anybody uh, send send uh, send the Orioles overseas. Send them to London next year. Maybe uh, maybe the the UK family over there will enjoy them a bit more than well, the, uh, than we will here. But I think Megan Markle is a huge Baltimore Orioles. They'll hit man. they'll hit 200 <laughs> oh, home goodness. runs there too. <laughs> All right, Joe. So besides Maybe the Yan- Maybe that's the remedy. <laughs> besides the Yankees, Astros, and the Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> is there a real? Is there another true threat, a contender in the American League this year? You know, I think the Twins. I mean, the Twins are the ones that, that are going to come up, right? And in a nutshell, the Twins hit home runs. They hit for power. They've been good with that. All their their lineup is legitimate. They've been good all year. Um, their bullpen. They need help. They definitely need help in the bullpen. And I think their rotation, they need some help too. They need a number three guy. I think Jake Odorizzi is having an unbelievable year. I mean, who would have seen this coming? This guy's a, he's a career four ERA guy, and he's having pitching around a 2-2 ERA this year, which is just unbelievable to me. So, uh, And Barrios, obviously, at the top, Jose Barrios has been very good for them too. But I, I just look at them, and I see a lot different from the Indians last year. And I know people are drawing comparisons. Well, the Indians took advantage of a bad division last year, which they did. But the Twins are, are beating everybody else, too. They're a very competitive team, top to bottom. So I, I, I don't think that they're to, that you can thumb your nose at them. I do think that the Twins are a very good team. I don't know if they're championship contending yet. I think that they need some pieces in the bullpen. They need to sure up their pitching a little bit more. But other than that, I think that you know the Yankees, the Yankees are probably cream of the crop right now. It's hard to really put anybody ahead of them in the American League. Uh, with Houston a few steps behind, they've been slumping lately. Ever since just before that Yankee series, they were dealing with injuries and and they just uh, the pitching has been a bit rough. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the Twins are probably the only other team outside of the Yankees and the Astros that might might be a, a big threat come October. Joe, I got to say this, okay? I am a firm believer that the reigning World Series champs deserve the respect until they are no longer World Series champions. 
but I am so yeah, sick. I mean, that's, of, uh, you know, so, you go. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that. I don't think that's unfair. No, I because, Wait, go, go ahead. Continue. Because you know what? They deserve it. They had such a dominant year. They're the champs until they're not anymore. But I'm so sick of hearing analysts still say that the Yankees need to watch out for the Red Sox. I'm not saying that they can't sit there and say, look, you can't be complacent. They're still the Boston Red Sox. You can't let them gain ground. You have to continue to bury them. I'm fine with that. But follow it up with. But the Yankees have really dominated this division right now, and they're clearly the better team. Every analyst I hear is talking about how the Yankees still need to watch out for the Red Sox. No, they don't. They don't. They need to continue playing the ball they're play- they've been playing, and in turn, they will bury the Red Sox. That is it. That is end of story. I need to know, is this team truly the team... Uh, you know, that they're going to be all year. Do you see the Red Sox making that spurt where they roll off 10, 12 games in a row and all of a sudden they're back in it? Or do you see them staying a 500 team right now, maybe five, five games over by the end of the year? You know, guys, I mean, we've seen it a few different times this season where they just look like, you know, maybe they're going to turn it on now. Maybe they're going to turn it on and they do. And they go on little runs, maybe five out of six, seven out of eight, but then they just revert back to being an average team. So, you know, I, I said this a lot about the Red Sox last year. Uh, some some years are just magical in baseball. It just goes beyond comprehension. I know that there's always going to be stats that back up, you know, a team's success. And, and we know that the Red Sox were purely contact baseball last year. And they were getting great performances for, from everybody. And again, I've mentioned this on your podcast a few times, but when Brandon Phillips is coming up in September, a guy that hadn't played baseball all year, and he's hitting game-winning home runs for you, uh, then, then maybe something's going right. So I, I think that uh, the Red Sox this year, we all, I think pretty much everybody expected a, a little bit of regression. I don't think anybody expected an 110-win team again. Uh, and to see what they're doing this year, this is more of what I expected them to be. Because outside of Chris Sale, who finally turned it around, Outside David Price, who's been pretty good, and Eduardo Rodriguez has been pretty good himself. Where's the pitching coming from on this team? Rick Porcello has has been not good, uh, to say the least. I mean, the guy's getting paid $21 million to be uh, a five ERA guy. Their bullpen is is in shambles. Um, I, I don't really, when you look at this team top to bottom, where are you getting the help from? Where are you getting the reinforcements from? And Dave Dombrowski pretty much already emptied that farm system to get all the help for, for Chris Sale and, and to get help and unless they want to move Devers, but that's not going to happen to, to get more help. And uh, yeah, so I don't really see where the Red Sox are, how the Red Sox are really going to turn it on. Again, there are things that are beyond comprehension in baseball. Maybe everybody just starts hitting at once. Maybe the pitching gets good at once, but that's a lot, a lot like the Mets where everything went wrong. It's kind of hard to expect everything to go right for Boston. I just don't, I don't see how that happens. They're still a good team, very talented team. Um, I think top to bottom, but I just don't see how they, they rattle off and they get really hot uh, heading into the second half of the season. Joe, before we uh, ask you a couple questions about the Yankees here, what was your take at a London series? That wasn't real baseball, was it? You know, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with playing games in London, guys. I think that, you know, the baseball wasn't good, obviously, overall. I think it was entertaining, but... Uh, if you, if you're a baseball purist, if you're a guy that watches, you know, 150 games a season and, and more, uh, you say to yourself, you know, what the hell's going on here? But yeah, yeah I, again, I'm, I'm okay with it because it, it's, it's two games out of the year. You're showcasing it to other parts of the world. Uh, it's, you know, I spoke to a lot of my friends who are writers who, who went overseas, uh, 
to cover the series and they all had a blast. So it's a little bit of a, almost a respite for them, a little mini vacation for them, which is cool. The players seem to like it. I do think that there are some logistics things that they could fix instead. I think that, that was my big issue than, with it was the scheduling. You could have played. I mean, honestly, like couldn't they have played this this weekend and then these guys could have had the All Star break off instead of like at least the Yankees got lucky. They came home and even though they were away games, they were home for a couple of days because they played the Mets. The, you know, not that I'll ever take pity on the Red Sox, but they had to go to friggin' yeah. Toronto. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably my biggest thing, guys, because I know I understand the flight is like taking a, a flight out west, uh, you know, five and a half, six hours, whatever it is, seven hour flight. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of unfair, even when you give them the few days off before and maybe the day off after whatever it is. It just it, it doesn't seem fair to the players to ask them to go back and, and readjust their schedule. But again, these guys are they're creatures of habit, man. These they, they hit at the same time every day. They eat at the same time every day. They're in a routine. And when you ask them to break routine to travel across and play even two games, that's that's tough for anybody. So I do again, I do like the London series because I'm always for showcasing baseball to more of more audiences, more widespread audiences. Baseball is actually surprisingly uh, a few years ago when they had the World Baseball Classic, they they said that Germany is is a, is very very big into baseball right now. So uh, putting games out there for the UK, I mean, it's an event. Celine Dion is going to sell out everywhere she goes. The Yankees are going to sell out everywhere they go. So uh, I think that it's it's cool. It's a cool thing, but there's certainly some logistics issues that they can hammer out and they can get right for next season. No, I get it, and I don't I, honestly like I I don't disagree with them trying to grow the game but joe when the yankees are up 17 to 6 in the seventh in the seventh inning you can't and you really have to worry about them blowing that lead that's something that's not baseball at that point there's something obviously and and guys even though purcell is pitching to a high era and tanaka's prone to having his blow-up games when they give up a combined 12 runs and only record three outs that i mean to me that's that something else is going on there yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're conspiracy theories, right? And then one of the ones that I, I thought, you know, maybe there was something happening with the mound. Maybe yeah, they lowered the mound a little bit. Uh, you know, they, I don't think anybody's really going to notice by the naked eye. Um, you know, there's there's any – everybody you heard it from everybody and you saw it with your own eyes that pitches were left up in the zone all weekend. And I think that when you're asking guys to pitch on a little bit of a lower plane, that's just going to happen. So, uh, yeah, man, I I don't, it's tough. It's tough for me to to really say, I mean, it's again, for major league baseball, it would be a built-in excuse. I have no proof of it. It's pure speculation. Uh, I don't want to be irresponsible and say, you know, that's something I know for sure. Uh, You know, but there's certainly something weird happening, happening there. I know there's some other theories where, you know, maybe the wind and the, and the park factors were playing into it just a little bit, but yeah, yeah, but you know tough, what I thought of with that, Joe? For sure. I thought of the whole wind thing, and it's like, uh, what's the wind like right now at at the Trop? I mean, it's in a friggin' dome, right? How how much yeah. could the wind play a factor uh, in that stadium that these guys play in domes? Yeah. I, I If I'm going to go with anything, if anything was going on, I'd say it'd have to be something with the mound. Yeah, yeah, and I, again, I don't, I don't, if you're if you're Major League Baseball, you're a fan of the offense because I really don't think things like the uh, things like uh, time of game or pace of play really bothers people when they're going over to see an event. Now, yeah. if that was 
if a 17 to 13 game was happening every weekend or every, every, every time that someone went over to the UK, then it's a problem. But if you're, if you're major league baseball, I don't really think they have that much of a problem with a couple guys showcasing as much, uh, as much power as they were, as many runs as they were. I don't think that they're too upset with that. Well, a guy that was on a showcase as much as anybody that weekend and just continues to be uh, a, a, mind-boggling. mind-boggling. Uh, they gave the stat after he drove in the go-ahead runs in the um, in the game last night. Uh, DJ LeMayu is not was what was it nine for eleven with the bases loaded this year, twenty runs batted in. I think he's uh, as of last night he was hitting four eighty with runners in scoring position. Uh, these are these are video game numbers. You couldn't turn MLB the show on rookie and hit this well. What has he done? As great as he's been, how much has he transformed this lineup now where you don't hear so much? Even though the Yankees strikeout rate is probably you know close to what it was last year, you don't even hear people complain about that because of this, this guy. What has he done to change the lineup in the way that the Yankees offense uh, attacks uh, pitchers? You know, guys, there's a few different ways we can go with this, right? I mean... First, I think the number one thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking is how context-dependent the runners in scoring position numbers are, it? right? Sorry, um, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Hicksy <laughs> just hit a game-tying home run in the eighth because he's on the New York Yankees, and they don't seem to just give up. <laughs> is he batting fourth again tonight? Because Actually, uh, I'll tell you what, when I saw that at, when I saw that at City Field the other day, I was a little bit confused. I mean, the guy that hadn't looked good the night before, and then you're batting him clean up. Well, but, Aaron, you know, whatever gets him out of the phone. Aaron Boone had the vacation lineup out tonight, and Hicks was uh, one of the guys that was sitting. So he, <laughs> they fell behind in the bottom of the seventh, and he let him off and pinch hit to the, uh, here in the eighth. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean – Hicks is a guy that has to get going for them. I mean, there's you pay him eighty million dollars, he can't hit two twenty. So, uh, we'll we'll see what he turns into. But back to Lemayhu, guys. I mean, I think the number one thing that people kind of forget is is how context dependent runners and scoring position numbers are. I mean, DJ Lemayhu, he's proven that he's going to hit no matter what. I think that you know all the core stuff has gone to bed. You know, being a Rocky has gone to bed, but. The fact that guys are getting on base for him. Joe, and guess what? The I mean, there's nobody on base, but he, he just got a hit. So Yeah, as you said, <laughs> well, LeMayu's going to hit. Know, again, he's, gonna, he, he's just going to hit. He's going to hit no matter what. So um, I think that some of it is, listen, a guy like Mike Trout might not get as many opportunities as LeMayu does, but LeMayu certainly cashes in when he gets them. So I think that uh, a lot of credit has to go to Yankee hitters for being able to get on base around him. And obviously a lot of credit has to go to LeMayu. And I think, that that's been big for them. But uh, I was actually talking with a, a friend of mine the other day, guys, he's a big stats guy. And he was explaining to me uh, the, the idea, I guess, behind contact baseball, how radical that is. Now, uh, when you look at the way that shifts have kind of neutralized power hitters in recent years, you were able to play bad defenders in shifts for the most part. And a lot of that um, kind of, you didn't really, the defense didn't matter as much. Uh, when guys were either hitting into the shift or hitting home runs or striking out, right? But when you have a guy like DJ LeMahieu and across town and Jeff McNeil, those guys that are contact hitters are going to expose bad defenses, and they're going to expose uh, shifts, and and they're not gonna they're not gonna hit into a shift. They're gonna hit them where they're not. So you're gonna see more of that, and that's kind of the way that the Red Sox won last year. They put that on ball, right? Which is it's kind of crazy. It's the same thing we've been saying for the last four years during the launch angle revolution that. You know, maybe guys should just be making contact because you never know what happens when you just put a ball in play. So, 
you're seeing more of that now in LeMahieu's a guy that he's always made contact throughout his career. He just has a swing tailor made for it. He doesn't, I know he's hit for power this year, but he doesn't sell out for power, which I think some guys have in recent years. So uh, he's, he's certainly opened a lot of eyes this year, maybe playing with Colorado. People didn't realize how good of a player he actually was. There are some people that think color playing away from Colorado uh, actually hurts your stats. Uh, and not, and some, uh, instead of, uh, you know, it's more of an effect that it hurts your stats than course field actually helps your stats, right. which is pretty radical to me. But uh, yeah, we're seeing that too. So yeah, it's all, it's all crazy to me. I mean, DJ has been, he's been unbelievable for them. Um, certainly been been worth every penny that's for sure and i know that a lot of teams are are kicking themselves right now that they didn't sign him well joe i think there's two guys really in this yankee lineup right now that change the dynamic from what they were last year one of them obviously being the guy we just spoke of lemayu and the other guy being uh glaber torres and i know glaber torres has a has some surprise pop in his bat that no one really expected, but he's also a guy that's going to put bat on ball and put the ball in play. And I think the two of them together uh, really change the dynamic of this team. One of them in DJ LeMayu being a uh, shoe in for the all-star game. The other that got snubbed out of, out of recognition until, uh, until who went down with the injury just now? Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau. And, and now, you know, Glaber. Injury replacement to the injury replacement. Injury replacement to the injury. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Christian, whether he was joking or not, texted. He said he should tell Major League Baseball uh, he's going to decline their invite. But really, I mean, it's still an honor. I didn't exactly say that. But, no, Joe, he, but Joe's on, so we'll, yeah, keep, so we'll, we'll keep, keep it clean. Rated G. Uh, you know, they're still at any given time, what, about 750 active players on rosters. And it's still an honor to to be uh, invited at this point. But in your opinion, should he have been elected to the All-Star game right off the bat? You know, guys, it's, it's so hard to say. Um, it really is because uh, you see who got voted in. Second base is your boy DJ LeMahieu, right? So... Uh, is he supplanting DJ? No, he's not. Uh, you see who got voted in the shortstop is Jorge Polanco, who up until a few weeks ago was matching Mike Trout step for step when it came to war and just overall production this year. So he wasn't going to get voted in a shortstop. And, and maybe if you were to think about voting him in as a reserve, that would have made a lot of sense as well. But that process is all, it all goes to uh, the commissioner's office and it goes to player ballots now. So uh, that's not something that the fans could have controlled. And uh, given that the rosters are, are adjusted in a way that it's always going to be pitching heavy and less position player heavy. I don't really know where you can sneak him in. So I think that when you consider that DJ got in, Jorge Polanco got in, who's just had an overall better year at shortstop. um, It's, it's tough for me to say that he should have been in. I know that he's had a fantastic year. He's already, he's about to surpass uh, his war number from last year. So he's, he's obviously been uh, everything that the Yankees could have hoped for in that trade when they sent Chapman over to the Cubs. But uh, yeah, it's really, it's tough for me to say that he should have been in because there's so many guys who have, who have deserving cases along with Glaber. And look, but, Tommy Lestella you know, was deserving. Tommy Lestella was, dis- uh, was deserving. I had no issue with that. I think where a lot of people got upset is that when Tommy Lestella broke his leg, they went, they, you know, they chose uh, Brandon Lau instead of Glaber uh, Torres. And if you look at the numbers, it probably doesn't, you know, compute there. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I, and I don't know who else from Tampa got voted in as all-stars, but you also have to keep in mind that 
all of these guys, all of these teams have to be represented. So I think that's part of it too. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, listen, Brandon Laz had a heck of a year too. He's probably going to win rookie of the year for, for the race. So, uh, it's really, it's really tough for me to, to say who, who belonged one over the other. Obviously glaber has been, he's been hot lately. He's been great for the Yankees. It's just, again, it's, there's so many guys who are deserving, you know, it's, it's not like you're not seeing guys get snubbed, uh, anymore. It's snub is a very, very, you know, if a guy with who's hitting, 275 with three home runs gets in over a guy that's hitting uh, 300 with 15 home runs. Then it's a snub, yeah. But it's tough for me to really say that there are any snubs anymore in baseball, especially with all the information that fans are fans are privy to and all the information that they're voting on. Well, uh, last Yankee question, second to last question, penultimate. I'll use the big word because Chris doesn't understand them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, question of this interview here. Uh, we we know that the one area of concern for the Yankees, and it does, it's not really going to rear its ugly head in the uh, regular season, but they they need somebody to go out there and be able to take the ball in a postseason series, you know, back up Tanaka and Paxton, um, be that guy because, you know, you really can't count on Severino, and every day that goes by, you are less and less confident that you'll actually see Severino this year. Where are the Yankees going for pitching help? You hear they might not like Madison Bumgarner as much as the fans do. Marcus Stroman is a guy that I don't, I personally don't really trust, uh, despite him having a really good year. You know, it was always a pipe dream to get Max Scherzer, and now that the Washington Nationals have gotten themselves to the top of the uh, uh, NL wild card, you, you know the Nat, the Nats are not going to be in sellers mode. Where are the Yankees going? And you hear like any other rental, everybody wants to trade Clint Frazier, but you hear reports that Cashman's not in love with trading Frazier for a rental. So where are the Yankees going to get starting pitching help? Or are they going to just say, screw it, maybe we don't get starting pitching help and we'll just continue to load into this bullpen here because you see guys like Adovino and Britain or and Chapman are maybe a little bit tired right now and to give them some help out there. You know, I mean, if Chris is still throwing the wiffle ball to his kids, then maybe the Cashman can give him a call and see, hey, listen, see what's happening there. I think, his arm is, his arms are. I think the <laughs> Yankees need both, to be honest, bullpen and starting pitching. I'm a lefty. I can still go out there and check with you. <laughs> the day you take the mound for Keep the Yankees is the day I stop watching Major League Baseball. <laughs> You know, guy, it's it's such you know it's such a difficult question. It really is because well, that's why we have you are the here Yankees going to gonna get? These, right? I, know, I know, I know, I know. I try, I try. Here's the thing: are the Yankees in recent years? We've seen them get cute, right? We, I mean, Sonny Gray. A lot of people thought he was he had number one type stuff, or he could be a number one type. That didn't work out. Last year, you go out and get Jay Happ, who was very good for them, and then he gets bombed in the playoffs by the Red Sox, who was the one team that he was supposed to stop. Um, you know, they get Jaime Garcia, who obviously didn't work out. Why would you ever uh, say you go that? And get, Why would you bring that I'm up? I'm sorry, but... I <laughs> mean, actually, you know what? I actually he was a New York Yankee, and you had to go and put that back in my brain. <laughs> you know, these are these are things that this is... It just proves my point, guys, that I think that the Yankees, they, especially Brian Cashman, they love these reclamation projects. I think that they love these guys who they view as solid arms who maybe have a lot of upside. And you saw it, you've seen it with Aaron Hicks. You've seen it with other players that, you know, maybe other teams aren't as high on that maybe the Yankees can try and fix. But I think that this year that all has to go out the window, right? And and I don't want to hear 
Uh, I don't want to hear about the Yankees talking about Matthew Boyd uh, or or Mike Minor. Like I'm not touching Matthew Boyd. I'm sorry. I'm you know you know they're they're having very good seasons. But if you're serious about wanting to win a, a championship this year and and to put yourself in position to maybe win next year, then you give the Nationals a package that's so good. You put an offer on the table that's so good that they have to think about it. But that's going to start um, with Glaber really Torres believe, and they're not they're not going to do that. I you know, I don't think I don't think it has to. I really don't because Mike Rizzo has said in interviews in the past that yeah, this it has to be a good offer. It has to be a franchise altering offer. But I think that if you put together a package of five guys, um that they would seriously consider it and it's it's got to be Clint Frazier, Tyro Estrada, Estevan Florial and you give them Domingo Acevedo who is who's very, very high on a lot of people's prospect lists. A lot of people like him. They think he's a future number one starter. And you give him Chance Adams just as a sweetener. And I think that Joe, if you put that off Brian on the table, Cashman could what, get that deal, he would walk down he would walk from the Bronx to to Wildwood, New Jersey naked. Listen, okay. That's how excited <laughs> he would be to get I that think, deal done. I <laughs> listen, I, I really think that honestly it would make a lot of sense for both sides. Um I understand that, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like enough, but when you're giving, you're essentially helping them replenish their take farm Greg system Bird. with guys. And take, Greg, them, take Greg Bird, too, please. Screw it. Yeah, I mean, listen, you give them, because those and are that, all guys that really don't have a part in your future. And that's not uh, even me being facetious and saying take our trash, but if Greg Bird can stay healthy, I still believe that he can be a productive Major League Baseball player, but his time is passed here in the Bronx, so... You know, send them somewhere as a fifth or sixth piece in a in a trade like that. This is why I said, guys, I really think that there are packages to be had. I know that everybody talks about Glaber and Judge, with that, which I think is crazy to me because Glaber is your starting – he's your starting second baseman, right? I mean, you're not moving any starting pieces right now to get an arm. It just doesn't make sense. It's a counterproductive move. And the same thing with Aaron Judge, which we won't even talk about because that's so ridiculous that I can't even wrap my head around it, but – yeah, honestly, if you if you call Washington and you say we'll give you five guys right now for Max Scherzer, then I think they would have to at least think about it because Scherzer's going to have ten and five rights next year. And if the Nationals get off to another bad start with a division that's probably going to keep getting better around them, then they're going to have to think about it because the offers that they get next year aren't going to be what they're going to get this year. Uh, so I think that listen, I know it's not it doesn't sound like a sexy package, but Clint Frazier is, is he could be an everyday starting. We've seen he has the offense to be an everyday starting outfielder in this league. Uh, Domingo Acevedo, everybody loves him, and he's going to be uh, a top of the rotation type guy. Chance Adams was a once promising arm. Estevan Florial is a guy that he's still a few years away, but all you hear is hype surrounding him. And Tyro Estrada, we've seen he's very good. He can hit at the major league level. So I don't think it's too ridiculous. I really don't. Um, I know that, again, I know that they're going to talk about Glaber. They're going to talk about Judge. But I think that if you give them a franchise-altering trade that gives them at least two starting pieces who could be starting next year for them and three more pieces who, with a a little bit more marinating in the minor leagues, who could become big players for them in the future, I think that that's something they would seriously consider. Yeah, but Joe, here's the issue. And as much as we don't want to admit it, the f- justifying things to your fans 
does go a, a long way when it comes to making these moves. How do you justify to your fans that you're getting rid of the one guy who's been probably the best pitcher in baseball over the last handful of years uh, when you're this much in the race? And another thing for me, the one thing that if the if the Nationals are sitting down and saying, OK, we're in this race, what would be the best what would be the best takeaway from getting rid of Scherzer? To me, that would be getting that money off my off my books at that point. And if and if the Nationals are going to expect the Yankees to take all that money, you think Brian Cashman's going to say, "Okay, yeah, we'll take all the money, and we're also going to send you five to six prospects"? I just don't see that happening. Well, again, guys, this is this is the thing, and this is where the prospect hugging comes in because I understand the Yankees have really wanted to, to put a premium on rebuilding the farm system, right? And and, and yeah, that's but totally Joe, fair, and we've seen what Joe, they've done with it. Joe, take all the prospects you want at this point. I don't care about prospects anymore. You take all exactly. the prospects you want. I'm talking now, at this point, that's what the Nationals are going to want, but they're also going to want money, and I don't think Cashman's going to give up both. Well, you know what? This is, again, guys, and, and this is the New York Yankees we're talking about, right? I mean, these are the kind of moves that, and I hate to bring this up, I really do, because these are the, the kinds of fans that really bug me on Twitter. But it, this is a move that, that if George Steinbrenner were alive today, he'd say, take, take, all, uh, take, take our entire farm system. Take all five levels. He would take try to away, annex Tampa. He would actually take, try to annex the, Tampa, where they have the take, minor league take, facility. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Steinbrenner would say, take, if Scherzer is the guy, which I think he is, and you leave zero doubt, zero doubt that he's going to help you win a world championship this year. And, you know, you don't get cute with the Matthew Boyds and the Mike Miners of the world or, you know, what have you. These guys who are having really nice years, but they're not going to win you a World Series or they're not going to put you in the best position to win a World Series. I think that's, that's what you have to do now. Again, is the reality of that situation, you know, is that something that could happen? No. But if I'm Brian Cashman, I have to, I can't leave any doubt. I, if, if this is the year that you're thinking about winning a world championship, and we know they thought about this last year too, but if this is the year that you're thinking about winning a world championship, then you cannot leave any doubt with your starting rotation. You can't go out there and say, well, we could have had Verlander, but instead we had, you know, Jaime Garcia, or we had Lance Lynn, or we had, you know, Sonny Gray who didn't work out. Like you could have had these guys, but instead you had guys that, that amounted to nothing. So yeah, I, again, I don't know what the reality of the situation is. I don't know what Mike Rizzo is thinking. I know that, I know that Max Scherzer next year has 10 and five rights. I know that they probably want to get money off the books. I know that they paid Patrick Corbin a whole lot of money to be at the top of that rotation too. So uh, I don't know if he's a guy that they're going to want to move. I doubt it. But if I'm the Yankees, I put that offer on the table and I say, listen, guys, this is what we're giving you. Take it or leave it. And if they say no, then they say no. And then that's all you can do about it. Hey, and we're not arguing you that uh, Scherzer wouldn't be that guy. I, I mean, I think out of anyone, I'd be most excited about Scherzer, but I just, just being someone who has just really dissected each and every move that they've made, I just don't see them coming to some resolution for it, but hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, that would, that would honestly put the Yankees over the top, but getting back to, you know, the AL in general, who do you think right now? And I kind of have a a guess at who you're going to say, who do you think? is the AL MVP of the first half? 
Uh, you know, Trey Mancini's had an excellent year for Baltimore. No, you know, I, <laughs> you I got to stop doing that. What do you follow? You know, this I got to. I'm. I'm sorry. I, I got to stop doing it. It's again. It's low hanging fruit. It's so easy. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's Trout, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I, I understand. There's the whole debate of what valuable means to a team, right? And that's that's the reason they'll never change the MVP award to most outstanding player or or best player in baseball, whatever you want it, because there's so much ambiguity that goes into, into uh, most valuable, what valuable means to a team. Is it the best player? Is it the guy that means the most? I think that if you take Mike Trout out of that lineup for the angels, what do they have? Justin Upton, uh, who's been, you know, he came back, he's been decent, but uh, where, where are the angels? I know they've been hovering around 500 this year. Um, and they're, the they're exactly news 500 right now. Yeah, so so the Tyler Skag news, Skaggs news is absolutely devastating yeah. for them. Um, you know, make make no mistake. I mean, that, that's that's you know, baseball for baseball reasons, but that'll yeah that'll that'll be tough for them to deal with the rest of the way. But you know, where are the Angels without Mike Trout? And and you look at his, all of his numbers, his advanced numbers. I mean, he's the best player in baseball, and I think that. I know that a lot of Yankee fans want to hear DJ LeMahieu. I do. But again, I think a lot of the stuff, when you look at the runners and scoring position stuff, that is, that's more of a team stat than it is an individual. And there's no doubt that he's absolutely executed in those situations. And it's hard to see any player kind of replicate his success. But at the same time, the only reason he's getting put in those situations is because guys are heading in runners and scoring position for him in the first place. So, yeah, Joe, and you uh, know what? You put my, it's, it's tough. I agree with you. I mean, I think Trout right now takes the honors of the of the first half. And here's how I thought of it today, because I was always a guy that was like, you know what? Most valuable to their team. How could this guy be so valuable? And, you know, the, his team's 500. But here's how I look at it now. And tell me if I'm wrong. I look at it now as if when MVP is voted on, you can't even look at the team that they're on. You have to almost treat it as if you're drafting guys from top to bottom and who put up the best numbers individually uh, that would be the most valuable to a team that you were building. And that's really, yeah. in my and opinion, the way you got to look at it. That's Yeah, that's the way you have to look at it, guys, because you know this, and I say this a lot. I say this on Twitter. I say this to you guys. Baseball is such a context dependent sport. Uh, it's, it's so hard to look at one number and say, or one statistic and say, well, you know, this is wholly on this guy. No, it's really, it's really tough to say. Um, when, when one thing, what one thing matters to one guy doesn't mean as much to another guy. So, you know, you, you put DJ LeMahieu in, in another lineup that's horrific. Um, then he doesn't have those runners in scoring position numbers. Maybe he's still, he still hits 348. Maybe he still hits 350, which is fine. But is he going to have the RBIs to show for it? If you put him in San Francisco, is he going to have the power numbers to show for it? So uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think when you just look at the individual and, and what they do, Trout is just, he's head and shoulders above everybody, man. He's got, I think he's got uh, two MVP awards. He should have four. He should have eight. So uh, he's just been that good throughout his career. And I, and I hope that people recognize that. And, and they recognize that he is a Hall of Fame player and what he does is just otherworldly. Even if the, even if the Angels are, are a 500 team, 
uh, that can't be put on him. Just think about where they would be if it wasn't for him. Okay, Joe, this is your anti-Yankee bias showing through now. We all know that DJ may use the friggin' MVP of the American League. No, Joe, honestly. I, I, if you want to give it to – I understand. Mike Trout's the best player not only if on this planet, but, any, numbers, but man, any planet that, that you can find in the, in the uh, solar system. But I think that people that w- just want to – throw DJ LeMayu's name right in the trash that they're wrong, that he at least deserves to be in the conversation this year. Yeah, and I will agree with you guys. I do think that he does. He's had such a great year. He's had an excellent year. He's, again, he's proven the core's narrative wrong, right? And I think that that was the biggest thing for them. And he does deserve to be in that conversation. But when you look at just what one guy means to a team, what one guy does to opposing pitching, uh, on a day in and day out basis. I mean, it's, it's trout. It really is. I think that LeMayhew for how good he's been, how eye opening good he's been at the same time. I just don't think if you, if you're telling me to draft one guy right now uh, to be in my, based on what they're doing this year, it's trout. And I, and I thought it would be Chris Davis, Joe. I don't think it's as close. No, no, not Chris <laughs> Davis, especially not for that money, man. I mean, you know how I feel about the Orioles, but, uh, that's what yeah, you draw. That's what you draw the line for me to put. Yeah, it's, that's tough for me. Tough for me. Uh, Chris Davis is, is going to be a – that's a non-starter for me. Non-starter for me. All right, Joe. We can't thank you enough, man. You're always generous with your time with us, and we thank you very much here as uh, we're approaching the All-Star break. Uh, I want to go around the league with you, touch base on a few different things. Uh, you can follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Rivera SN. He is one of the top 14 follows on Twitter. Okay, so if you're not following him, oh, top wow. fourteen, top wow. fourteen. So if you're not following him, you're not doing Twitter, right? Okay, wow. You know uh, that's that's phenomenal. Top fourteen, wow. Yeah, right at the right at number fourteen. That's fantastic. Love it. Love oh, it. I guys. didn't say we're in the top. 14. Who's better than you? <laughs> <laughs> whenever someone says who's better than you guys, whenever someone throws a number like fourteen out there and and says top fourteen, you know he's putting you at fourteen. Mm. So yeah, I mean, you there's, said a, top yeah, 20, I mean there's a reason. There. You know, it it yeah. Joe I mean, top twenty, around, I would have like, been fine with it. Like know? when Gary Sanchez has a big day, and then Joe's Joe slams the the Gary Sanchez hater. He jumps right, jumps up. Yeah, he jumps does. up. The I can I I mean, that's another. I just you know to to get on my soapbox for a second. I just hope that, and I know that it's not. But I hope that everybody that wanted him, wanted Sanchez traded last year, can can go fly a kite to put yes. it kindly. Because what did Aaron Boone uh, say? Kick you know, rocks. Guys, kick rocks. That's our new. Kick rocks. That's kick the rocks. new saying. That was here. that truly was truly was a highlight moment in in covering press conferences. Uh, I was looking down at my phone at the time, getting ready to tweet, and then he said "kick rocks," and it was like my world was turned upside down. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I really do. Again, and Sanchez is proving every why you don't give up on talent. He was he had a bad year last year. He was hurt. He was playing hurt. Uh, he couldn't work out because he was hurt. So you know, maybe if you saw the little extra weight, then you know you got to realize you try you try running on a treadmill with a sprained ankle, or you try lifting weights with with a bum shoulder. So uh, yeah, I hope that it just to to put a nice bow on it. I hope that everybody that that wanted Sanchez traded last year. Uh, I hope that Gary Sanchez wears uh, his player's weekend jersey, says fat and lazy on the back. Just to <laughs> stick it. it to everybody. I'll buy one Just and I'll send you one too. I okay? love it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's always great. Thanks, All right, Joe. Joe. Take care. Appreciate it. Good old Joe Rivera. Uh, you, you know what? You can uh, you can say a lot of things about Joe Rivera. Uh, you know he's a Baltimore Orioles fan, 
But is uh, he an Orioles fan? No, he's just he just busting. I didn't think so. But uh, you gotta you gotta from the bottom of our hearts, and we we're gonna say this after he he's gone, so he can't hear it. Uh, you know, we thank Joe because he, like I said, while he was on with us, he's very generous with his time. Chris is never ready on time, so it's always twenty minutes to a half hour later than when always. we tell Joe, and he never. <laughs> He never shortchanges us. He he's he's great, and we love Joe. He's got great insight, uh, not only with the Yankees, but he covers a lot of Major League Baseball for uh, the Sporting News. So uh, can't thank Joe enough. He's one of our favorite guests. So um, you know, follow him on Twitter. He is a he is a good follow. You know, give him a follow at Joe Rivera SN. So there you go. It's a little difficult for us <clears throat> to close out the show right now because David Hale's pitching. Currently, and what's our runner on second here with one out? Yes, bottom of the ninth of a tied game, so we're kind of holding holding our breath. But uh, you know what? It it just goes to show you that he went to Cortez in the in the seventh, and now Hale he he wants to stay away from the big guys. Yeah, tonight. he's gotta that Boone wants to stay away from the big guys tonight. And you know what? When you got a what what is their lead in the loss column right now? Nine. Nine. When you got a nine game lead in the loss column a couple of days before the all star break. You can afford those things. You yeah. can. So um as we look ahead here, the Yankees uh, are trying to get this into extra innings. Uh then they'll play two against the Rays uh to wrap up the uh, first half of the regular season here. It'll be uh CC versus Blake Snell, who looks like the creepiest person in the history of the world <laughs> with his, the mustache. Oh my god, and the in the gotta go. The goatee there in his uh, promo photo. And then it's Paxton versus Charlie Morton. A nice little pitching matchup on Sunday before the All-Star break. So Chris and Ryan, Ryan who decided that he was going to take today off, you know. Just so you want to know why? Because we gave him his praise last week or a couple yeah. weeks ago that he's always here. So he felt it was time to to take a little break. But me and, me and him will be back on Sunday recording uh, later after the game yeah so this will be uh the last you well I'll, the fellas will, will give me a buzz i'll hop on for a couple minutes and uh be a complete asshole to you that sounds good all right so uh we'll you know chris and ryan will handle the bulk of the show on sunday hopefully we got at least a, a split out of this tampa series which is really all the yankees uh Ooh. and urshela had a bad hop but he'll get the out of Get the out of first there to hold the runner at second. Uh, yeah, so that's really all the Yankees need out of this series is a split, and it'll keep it at eight games heading into the All-Star break, which, man, if you were going to tell me at at the beginning of the year when the Yankees were just disintegrating like Dano's snap, you know, Chris won't get it, but some of you will, uh, and you're going to tell me at the All-Star break to have an eight-game... Would have never believed you. Never believed you, so... Absolutely a phenomenal job by the Yankees and Brian, uh, not only Brian Cashman for getting this team depth, but Aaron Boone for keeping them afloat Absolutely. here. So, um, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll hear from uh, Chris and Ryan. They'll do episode 133 together on Sunday, and then we'll, the show will take a break for the All-Star break, and then we'll be back uh, to wrap up the Toronto series, the first series back from the All-Star break. Uh, so there you go. So thank you for listening to episode 132, right? This 132. Is 132 of the NYYST podcast. Uh, stay tuned after we wrap up for a word from our sponsors, Baseballism. Go to baseballism.com. Use Chase28 for free shipping. 
Uh, follow uh, follow them on Twitter at Baseballism. Follow us on Twitter at NYY Sports Talk. Uh, vacant, Stack I ride. Vacant chair. Chris, say goodbye. Peace. Within a game, a bond is made. He teaches his boy a game he played. Two gloves, one ball, a day at the park, and the two play catch until it gets dark. And his boy does better than he thought he would. So the two played catch as long as they could. The boy and his friends, they play in the streets. Tennis shoes and cans, no bases, no cleats. They hit home runs and they turn double plays. One great catch, and he's Willie Mays. But the sun starts to set in the old neighborhood. And they played in the streets as long as they could. The boy goes to school and plays for his team. He develops his craft and follows his dream. He has moments of glory, he has moments of shame, but they shape his life and they make his name. But he begins to get old and it's understood. The boy played the game as long as he could. The boy now a man, he has a son of his own and he teaches his son a game he was shown. His son's first game, he sits in the stands. He yells out instruction, but it's not in his hands. And being late for the meeting was not in the plans. But a cheer for his son as long as he can. This is America's brand. This is baseballism. Do you believe in baseball?